Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at All right, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Conspiracy Normal. It's your host Adam Sane, your co-host Luke and Duke, and we got Rob over here on the soundboard listening ahead, in buddy. as ever. And uh, <clears throat> tonight was it, we hope will still be interesting. We're not sure what's going on. We, as promised, we were supposed to have Captain K on to talk about his experiences as a Marine on the planet Mars protecting human colonies there, but I have tried to call Captain K. I've sent him a couple of emails. You know, I had this scheduled all the way back in the beginning of January with him, and as usual with guests, and, and our person on the line here can, can you know, tell, can confirm this, I usually try to say, you know, are we still good about a week out or within the week before, and I've not heard from him. So he may pop in, he may not. So it is what it is. And there's the beep. Uh, <clears throat> but on the line, we do have uh, Mr. Craig Chicone. And I wanted to bring uh, Craig on. We had you on back at the beginning of uh, January. And it was a really good show talking about like the assassinations of the 1960s and Fred Hampton, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. But I wanted you to come on to kind of address a something that we had said by one of our guests um, back on episode 69, which is Luke's favorite episode, <laughs> and, <laughs> which was something that uh, Dr. Fetzer, James Fetzer, you know, I had him on to talk about Sandy Hook, and we did talk about Sandy Hook, and we did talk about the Boston bombing, and it was a really interesting interview. But I had something that occurred that really, really uh, bothered me somewhat, and that was 
this how he was so quick to kind of go into uh, what is, for lack of a better term, is Holocaust denial. And I know that uh, Craig is a historian, and you know, of course, I too am a student of history, so I kind of wanted to get him on to talk a little bit about kind of like the proofs for for the Holocaust and what happened. And and I'll kind of want to also go into what Fetzer said. So welcome to the show again, Mr. Ciccone. Well, thank you very much, and uh, howdy-do to Luke and Rob. Uh, welcome back, man. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Now, it's it's funny uh, to digress just a little bit. You you said that your guest was supposed to be Captain K, and, and immediately my mind went back to, and, and I don't know if this is before your time, guys, but there was... Um, Around the same time as Monty Python and the Benny Hill show was a wonderful, wonderful uh, British uh, comedy show called um, the Kenny Everett Video Show. And Kenny Everett basically, uh, it was, you know, skits and characters that he came up with and uh, interspersed with videos. So he was basically precursor to to MTV. But uh, one of his uh, cartoon characters was Captain Kremen. And uh-huh. so when you said Captain K, I just thought, are you talking about Captain Kremen? But you're probably not. <laughs> very, very funny. So if you, if you have a chance, though, go to YouTube and, and look up Kenny Everett, and he was, one of again, one of England's funniest men ever. So... Yeah, this, uh, that is. I think that is a little bit before. I, I never heard of. Of course, you know Monty Python, Benny Hill. I've heard of. I'm sure yeah, most of you're these a comic guys. Book fan too, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think I think the the tradition of 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 uh, Monty Python, uh, you, you know, just started the trend, and then you had you had people like like um, like Benny Hill and, and Kenny Everett who grew up in that with that tradition of just of just uh, ingenious things that you know had never been tried before and pushing the envelope and and just just absolutely hilarious. So um, yeah, you, you guys should definitely check out uh, Ken, Kenny Everett. Kind of like complete irreverence. Absolutely. I wanted to get into what uh, Fetzer had said, and you said you listened to a little bit of the of it, and you didn't quite get into that far. Yeah, I'm very uh, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance. Um, but I am familiar with with James Fetzer because uh, some of his work has also um, come into the uh, the JFK assassination research community. He's also done work right. on on whether or not the Zapruder film um, is is authentic. And and how many shots hit Kennedy and from where and and how do we know that? So at least at least he he does uh, you know acknowledge that Kennedy is dead. <laughs> so, yeah, there are at least he's not a Kennedy assassination denier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Fetzer unfortunately is not alone. So so even without him having been one of your guests or having even mentioned Holocaust denial, there are unfortunately, uh, as far as I'm concerned, too many people. Who, if they don't deny, like like I understand Fetzer, um, not deny, but but challenge the the final um, the final numbers. You know how how many Jews were killed. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, you get past one and it's too many. But we're talking about World War II here, so you know we quibble about the numbers and as as if. As if one million was was far less worse than say three million or six million. Right, right, right exactly. It's, it's not. It's it's still a Holocaust. Uh, but there are people out there who do deny that it even took place. That not right. one Jew was killed because of some some uh, system that Hitler had in place to to 
rid the world of Jewish Jewish ministry, at least in Europe. Right. And, and, and here's what he said about the numbers, uh, specifically the six million number. He said that from, I believe, he said like so from 1890 on until basically 1940, he said that there were reports in Jewish newspapers specifically that six million Jews in Europe were in danger. That's what he that's what he was quoting, and apparently. Okay. There was also a book, a Bible verse in Leviticus, which actually is not even a mistranslation or loosely translated. It's supposedly there's a symbol left out of the original Hebrew that is for six. That would be that would be a symbol for six. And this is something that he didn't say, but this is something that I, I got from uh, someone else later. Right. That 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 was that that's left that that's left out. So. That's also uh, supposedly that that's that that is a conspiracy from the Zionists to say that okay, there's six that that, that six is, is left out of that Bible verse in the original Hebrew, and therefore you know six million were going to be dead, so they had to match up the number to that. Um, also, there was something about Zyklon B. Right. And whether you could have in the supposed showers, uh, whether the I think like if Zyklon B re reacts with stone, it uh, turns the stone pink. And supposedly there's no stone that is pink. Okay. Um, I say, what else did he say? <laughs> there was, <laughs> yeah, the the Red Cross also was another thing that the Red Cross had gone into some of the camps and had said that there was nothing taking place. Now the only camp that I know of that the Red Cross was ever left was ever let into by the Nazis, or specifically by the F SS, was Theresienstadt, which was set up as kind of like a Potemkin village, like a mock. It's exactly. totally to say that all the Jews were okay. And I've actually shown Luke some film that was taken at Theresienstadt where it shows them all like playing tennis and yeah, li wild. listening to listening to the orchestra. I, I and, to right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that was basically and, and some of this he was getting from and like he it, it seemed to me like he was kinda new like it was kind of all new to him and like this revolutionary thing for him because right. he was getting it from this researcher that had also researched the 7-7 bombing in London. Okay. And this guy had apparently been also researching the Holocaust. And of right. course there are people that will say that, you know, the Mossad was behind 9-11, the Mossad was behind 7-7 uh, bombing in London. And that's probably where he's going towards and also this idea that the Holocaust was basically used as allied propaganda to <clears throat> allied propaganda to offset the fact that they were killing so many Germans in right. World War II. Right. And they say, well, you know, the Jews died. It was we, you know, it's like the one matched the other. Six million, six million Jews for six million Germans. Even though six million Germans, I don't think died. Right. But anyway. So, and also this idea that Zionists made up the whole thing so they could justify the foundation of the Israeli state. Right. Sure. Okay. So okay. those are some of the points there. 
All right. Well, I, I, I think it's important to right off the bat uh, to talk about the the exercise that that we're even talking about as it is. It is incredibly important for us to examine history and historical investigations. Uh, anytime something like this happens in history, especially something so catastrophic that that so alters. The, the, the course of history, absolutely, we should be making sure that, that things are accountable or people are accountable and, and that we can try to detect patterns that, that may or may not help us in the future. I mean, that's what the hope is anyway, is that these patterns of behavior will not happen again. You know, um, the Great War, the war to end all wars was just a precursor for the 20th you know, century. Uh, it was not the last war. Uh, right. We didn't learn very much from that, um, unfortunately. So it's absolutely imperative that we study. This is why it's imperative that we study history and that we ask questions. Now, again, if you're going to quibble about spe- you know specific things within a historical event, like the numbers or who is even behind it, then then that, we can have a rigorous debate about that. But but. We have to ask ourselves, as a people who, who who aren't historians, Luke and Rob, sorry about that, you know, the ones who fell asleep in history class during high school, right? What, what is it that we demand of the historians? I mean, what's, what's your bar? You know, to, to, to deny that something took place, even though the preponderance of evidence, the overwhelming evidence, shows that it did. I mean, we could say that about everything. How do I know that you, Adam, exist? You're a disembodied voice in Tennessee that I've never met before. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah. so you know, you want to get into the metaphysics of it and all that crap. But, but the point is, is we have certain standards now. Historians are not scientists, but we try to adhere as closely as possible to a scientific method to 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 show that the preponderance of evidence shows that this is what most likely happened. So when we have, like you said, films from each of these camps, not only from uh, the different countries who were affected, certainly Germany when, when, when uh, uh, the, the Allies um, dug out from the rubble their archives and things like that, because the one, things, <clears throat> the one thing that can be said about the Nazis, and, and specifically Hitler, is they, they, were, they were absolutely fanatical about, about keeping a record. About, because they, they thought what they were doing was historic, and it would, and it right. would last for a thousand years. So they were, they were documenting everything with films, with, with not necessarily documents, but certainly film, um, you know. Uh, but we, we, obviously we have the films, we have the testimony from the survivors. We, the Nuremberg trial, the entire thing was to find out the atrocities and, and who, were, who was responsible and how bad things got. Um, so, so you you want to quibble about the numbers? That's fine. But, but I, I don't I don't believe that there's any amount of um, adjusting that you can do that would bring down the numbers significantly to to, to deny that a Holocaust happened or or an, an extermination happened or an attempt at an extermination happened. And and even if if Fetzer's point was that um, uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm trying I'm trying to think of one of one of the points that he made um, having to do with um, 
our, our having to justify, like well, like like white yeah. guilt, which is certainly we can we can <laughs> we, we can we can cite that as an example of how we how we've treated our black population for you know for four hundred years is white guilt, but. Um, the guilt over us killing Germans. Well, we didn't enter World War One or World War Two because we had heard what Hitler was doing to Jews. As a matter of fact, yeah. we did not discover that until very late in the war. So it wasn't a justification right. for the war. And our bombing of Germany didn't happen in earnest until 1944. Our uh, main thrust was getting Germany out of all of the European countries that he'd already conquered. So there was certainly enough justification for our involvement. There were certainly enough atrocity, atrocities based on what the Nazi Party did and what Hitler did and the designs that he had for Europe, even if it didn't include the extermination of, of Jews, would have justified us going in there and being as aggressive as we were. And, of course, we weren't the only ones. Um, the, the British have certainly reason to be very aggressive against Germany because of what Germany did to them. Right. Absolutely, and the same thing about uh, with the Russians. So, using that as a justification for us being in the war, by any example, I, I don't think is a, a very strong is a very strong argument. And the the formation of Israel of the nation of Israel would have happened anyway. Whether or not there was a, an attempt at extermination of, of the Jewish population or not, would yeah. it have happened as quickly without the Holocaust? I'm not sure. We we, we can't say for sure. But but certainly uh, our the way that we divided up Europe, the way that we treated our allies as opposed to how we treated our enemies, like like Germany, um, they were going to get a piece of it anyway. So so. Using it as 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 reparations of some sort. Now that might have been, you know, a consequence of it, but it certainly wasn't a motivating factor. I, I don't believe. So so um, again, in my mind, in 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 as we look back at that history, does it matter whether it was four, five, six, or seven million Jews? No, it absolutely does not. It was still an attempt at genocide. Um. That, that thankfully failed, but but was unfortunately before it was thwarted was was very successful. Yeah, and, and a couple of points. One one thing to make is that the footage that you see from the end of the war, those are actually not. And and someone could say on the Holocaust denial part could say could could make this point and could say this that, you know, those actually were not the death camps. The death camps had already been taken. Those were all out in the east. Those were all out in Poland and those right. areas. And most of what was what you see, the the emaciated bodies stacked up in piles, right. that's all from from Germany itself. But the <clears throat> and there's there's also the whole thing in Holocaust denial that what you see is victims of typhus or or some right. other kind of disease. Uh, and as far as Israel is concerned, you know, it definitely gave impetus. The whole thing definitely gave impetus to the creation of Israel because it got everybody on their on the side of the of starting a Jewish state, and it definitely, you know, increased the immigration to Israel. Oh, 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 without well, a doubt. But, but but we also saw we also saw the emergence of other countries. We we've seen, yeah. we've seen the emergence of other countries after every war, and and 
uh, even even in, in quote unquote peacetime. So the emergence of of new nations it, it shouldn't be surprising. And and so. also you know the the Nazis themselves they uh, they wanted to cover up the whole thing. You know they That's, they dug up bodies and burned them. Exactly. I cannot remember how many of the camps that they had set up, which which we have the, the, the architectural designs for. Uh, yeah. Those are some of the things that we we discovered um, to make the disposal of people very very efficient. Because when it first started, it was a slow laborious process. They they had, they had underestimated how how much work it would take to dispose of thousands and thousands and thousands of bodies at once. So they kept. Um, you know, re-engineering and kept, you know, improving on their plans and building new and better camps. Um, and I can't remember how many they they destroyed themselves when they knew that they were going to be overrun and were losing the war. How many? How many they they self-destructed? That we actually had to dig out rubble, you know, through the, from from the rubble, the the evidence of what had gone on there. Right, but because they were. They were supposed to keep it all secret. They were going to keep it all, keep it all hush hush. And they told people that then they were going to move the Jews to the east for resettlement. That was what well, they told the Jews themselves that exactly. They told their own, they told their own people that. And one of the other points was that was made that Fetzer said um, was <clears throat> that the people were that that's exactly what happened was that people were actually resettled in the east. Well, then if that is really the case. Then where, where are where are those people? You know, those descendants exactly. would be somewhere. They would come forward by now. Exactly. Part of part of the part of the uh, the Nuremberg trials and and the scholarship that came uh, after that on that on, on its heels um, were population uh, studies uh, that that were trying to pin a number to how just how many people were lost in the war. And and again, this happens after every war. It's not just a certain ethnicity of people. It's you have to know emigrate, uh, you know, emigra- emigrants and immigrants, and how are they moving, and how can countries, you know, um, uh, take care of people that are flooding in across the border to 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 escape prosecution or persecution. So it wasn't just a study of the the places that had been populated by Jewish people, like Poland, like Germany. It was all over Europe. They took the population censuses of all of the European nations and compared them with the studies that had gone before and the the censuses censuses that had been taken before. And that is how they get the round figure. It's one of the reasons, or one of the ways, they get the rounded out figure of anywhere between 5 and 6 million people disappeared. There was no more record of them. You know, and and because the, because the Nazis, because Germany didn't just take these people, they took everything w- that they had, the property yeah. that they had, the 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 history that they had in photographs or clothes or 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 you know paintings or property or bank accounts or even or even papers, documents to prove that they you know their lineage or you know. Uh, were, were taken and either destroyed or, or you know, collected and distributed amongst the wealthy of, of, of Germany. Um, there was piles so, of stuff, piles of glasses, piles absolutely. of shoes, toys, all, the, all this stuff that 
it actually still exists. That that still exists, and, and people are still uh, donating to to museums and to libraries and, and things like that. Absolutely. So if you were snatched off the street, Adam, and I hope you know, un, unless it's excuse me, uh, unless it's you know for for alien abduction or you know, yeah, study like that. But but if Which you could happen, you never know. But if you disappeared, your physical person disappeared, there would still be a record of, of Adam. There would yeah. still be uh, proof that you existed. So that wasn't the case. And that was part of the systematic destruction of people, not just that we're going to take them off the street or take them out of their homes and then kill them and we'll be done with it. But there still remains the remnants of these people that... that now we have to go and we have to destroy as well. So, so it wasn't just the obliteration of, of five or six million people. It was their identities as well, that they ever existed. One of the, one of the things, too, that's interesting is that, you know, we have the, the minutes of uh, what is called the Vonce Conference, and these were yeah. different people in the Nazi leadership. Uh, Reinhard Heydrich was the was the one that was that headed it up. He was the, the kind of like the chief of the secret police in Germany, right? Which he was like Himmler's right hand man, and so we have the minutes of this conference between all these kind of like big wigs and the government and, right, right. Uh, and the military and the SS and and, and people in, in in industry of how they were going to pull this off, what they were going to do. And we have the minutes to this thing that were almost actually destroyed, but we actually have it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and how many more might we have found had those not be, been destroyed? So, so again, yeah. we're we're looking at patterns. We're looking at okay, this exists. This existed, or, or at least we recovered this particular document that it was created and existed. How many more were out there? You know. Because uh, this wasn't the only conference, it wasn't the only meeting, and it certainly wasn't the only minutes that were taken at these meetings. So we are fortunate to ha at least have this. And on this, uh, on the basis of this, plus the testimony of the surviving SS officers, plus, you know, other people who were there, and so forth and so on, again, it's the preponderance of evidence that shows that this absolutely did happen. And we can't ask, we can't ask history for any more than that, you know. Um, just ask Luke if he wants to ask something. He's just shaking his head. He's like, he's, he's totally confused. I was, you know, I was just thinking the other day. I'm just gonna go ahead and embarrass myself even more. Go um, ahead. <laughs> I, I was thinking the other day that we'll I don't even. More, we'll get some more emails. I don't even know. I don't even know why the first world war even started, or, or like, or the makings of the second one for that matter. I don't even know like what countries were involved and why it even started. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, are you saying you want your history lesson now? Uh, oh, well, I guess a short one would be. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a long one. <laughs> well, the, the start of World War One was a little bit more complicated than the start of World War Two, uh, and and there are historians that, that debate uh, what it was. Was there one particular thing that set it off, or was it a chain of events of of uh, miscommunication, of misinterpretation? Um, you know, the the assassination of Franz Ferdinand is is usually cited as the spark that lit the fuse that then exploded into World War One. Um, but it was but it was um, 
international relations at the time, border countries that were having clashes. That basically would have been a civil war had not everyone thought, okay, let's throw our hat in too. Um, yeah. So that, so that was more more you know stop and start as far as launching into World War One and it kind of just snowballed and um, then everyone's involved in in and, and and no one's really sure why you know who threw who threw the first snowball right um, it was all these different military plans and exactly, all these military exactly. options and, and if and they didn't do something as soon as possible then the other side might attack and it was just who would blink who would blink first. Right. And the, but, the machinery also, just got out of, out of hand. Absolutely, and you, and you consider the the context of of World War One, which was the Industrial Revolution. Um, now, all of a sudden, we have a new class of people. We have global uh, influence, like we never had before, as far as the speed, as far as the products that are being uh, that are involved. And now, countries can really be powers for the first time. Different countries are vying for power. Um, yeah. and, and that puts everybody on edge right there, you know, uh, wh- how is this good for us? How is this good for, you know, how is this going to advance our country? So you have that, and then, of course, you have Russia itself going through its own revolution. So, uh, you know, Slovenia is going through a revolution, uh, and, and Serbia, and, you know, like I said, Russia, and, and then an industrial revolution on top of that. So everything is just chaotic. And so this kind of thing happens. Now, World War II is easy enough to map because it's how we ended World War One. We, <laughs> to, right. the spoils goes, you know, to the victors goes the spoils of war, we completely spanked Germany. I mean, it wasn't enough that we defeated them and that, that we now control uh, Deutschland, uh, what used to be their huge empire. It's now we're going to not only carve it up into this, into this, as many pieces as we can to make Germany as small as we can, but we're going to berate them. We're going to make them pay restitution in the millions of dollars, and at that time, I, I can't even translate what it would be in today's dollars, but it's, it's like we demanded their land, their money, um, and that they couldn't have a police force of their own. Let me jump in real quick and say that I think I read like in 2011 that Germany finally paid off the war reparations in 2011. Okay, I I, I thought that yeah. I didn't see that, but yeah, that, that that's probably it. Yeah, that's probably it. But but we but we put such a strain on them. There they had they had very basically no ability to rebuild. Now you could say that well they shouldn't have started this shit in the first place. Uh, okay, they shouldn't have, but uh, you know. They, they did, and simply because they lost, uh, are we just going to annihilate them as, as a country? But we didn't even give them a chance to, to rebuild. So, so already there was a lot of resentment the way they were treated after World War I that, again, the momentum built, excuse me, and this young Hitler, this young Adolf Hitler, who, who had designs and had patriotism uh, and nationalism, uh, that that he saw the shrinking of the empire of the Reich, um, right that he knew and loved uh, that was being carved off and given to Poland and yeah you know 
what what he then turned around in World War II and claimed was the Jews. The Jews took everything, yeah. right, of right. theirs. So they were going to do the same thing. So so that snowballs into Hitler's designs to return Germany to their their rightful land, which was Poland and you know Czechoslovakia and. Yeah. And that uh, they were going to be the Third Reich, the third dynasty in Germany's history, and it was going to last a thousand years. Oh. And so yeah. that's 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 what uh, Hitler's motivation was was to take yeah. back what was taken from Germany at the end of World War One. So <laughs> World War Two. Um, so so Germany's solely responsible for the for the beginning of World War II, uh, World War Two. Then right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because okay. because of, of their designs and and uh, and what Hitler had in his his plan for for the German Empire to restore to restore the mother country to its to its righteous you know righteous global domination like they had done two times before. Oh. And not to digress too much, but one of the, the Germany when they invaded right before they invaded Poland, they sent some uh, Polish. Uh, or no, they sent prisoners dressed in Polish uniforms to this German radio station right across the border and had them attack it. And then they, right. or they said they attacked it, and they just left the bodies there and said that the Poles attacked German soil, so then they could have the excuse to oh, go absolutely. in uh, invade Poland. <laughs> False flag. Yep. Yep, and and and, and Austria and and you know some of the other countries as well. Yeah, that Thank was that was. That. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so it does. So it does. It does. Again, we're we're talking about the connection between then and now, and the patterns of history, and what can we learn from it. And if we learned by treating countries like this, even when they're defeated, because again, it's it's can you separate a government from its people? And that and that's a very sticky subject in in a lot of historical events. Right. And do do we blame? You know, Germany as a whole, including its people, for allowing it to happen. So we're so we're just gonna, you know, it's like Cuba too. Uh, we didn't like Fidel Castro when he took over in fifty fifty nine. So we were going to punish all of Cuba with with all of our um, uh, with our embargo. The embargo, yeah. Which 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 made Cuba impoverished. Which then, you know, which which was felt not by Castro or his government, but by the people of, of Cuba. And the people right. of and Cuba didn't want him any more than we wanted him. But what were they going to do? They were right. So, so um, we look at at how we treated Germany at the end of World War One, and how that sparked World War Two. And it's the same thing with how did we leave Iraq? Yeah. What, what position did we leave Iraq in? Especially when we claimed ourselves as being their liberators. Liberate what condition they're in now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's how did we treat the Iraqi people or the country itself that we bombed repeatedly and destroyed, basically, and then left without reparation, without rebuilding, without restructuring, and basically left them more impoverished than they ever had under Saddam Hussein. And now look what's happening in the Middle East because of our, our footprint that was left there and how we treated a war-torn country. So, um, 
I think Luke yeah. was asking what an embargo is. That's like an, that's like an imposed set of taxes, right? Uh, it's, well, you, you stop trade between the countries, oh, okay, is what okay, I understand. Okay, I, think. Okay, I got you. I got you. So so it's 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 you can't travel there. You can, so so there's no travel back and forth between the two countries, the United States and Cuba. No trading between the two countries, right? Which Cuba, of course, would would absolutely rely on. Uh, which is one of the reasons why you know. Okay, so the United States doesn't like Cuba, or at least doesn't like Fidel Castro. So Castro has been cut off from uh, the main export or importer, right, the United States. So he goes and looks for friends. And what friend does he find? Nikita Khrushchev in, in, yeah. in the Soviet Union. So then to, to make sure that his, his people do not, you know, suffer uh, from poverty and, and hunger and things like that, he, 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 he uh, you know, starts up a friendship with Khrushchev, which is our enemy. So then we look at at, at, at uh, Castro in, in, with even more disdain and say, you know, well, if you're friends with the Soviet Union, well, we'll just keep this embargo going and we'll tighten the screws and we will tell other countries not to um, trade with you because we're, we're friends with everybody around the world so we can, we can squeeze you, you know, right out of existence. So the, the, the alliance between Cuba and Russia... Was was basically they had no choice. We gave them no choice. Right. They which found a friend, why, which is why Cuba yeah. was the setting of of the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of '62. So well, let me ask about. Um, I want to ask about you know, Holocaust denial. Okay. And I want to ask about what well, is kind of like a two tier question. First of all, what has kind of generated Holocaust denial in your opinion, and then also what is the appeal of it? In conspiracy circles, and I know that that's some that that's that's a world you've spent some time in. Yeah, and I'm just curious if that that you you've probably encountered this many many times. Uh, fortunately, I, I I haven't because the the really? circles the circles that I that I associate with and I work with uh, are more reasonable than that. They're more rational than that. And we don't have to spend our time, uh, you know, tearing down paper lions or, you know, or tissue, tissue lions that, uh, you know, these myths that this never happened or, you know. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the benefit is. That's, that's an interesting question. The benefit yeah. of, of, of course, uh, of, of looking at history and, uh, you know, making sure that, that, that like I said, people are accountable and that we can rely on the history that, that, that is given to us and, and the records that are left for us and interpreted for us, uh, that, that's extremely useful. Uh, I, to me, it's essential. But um, I don't know what the gain is. Maybe, maybe it, there is a certain popularity to it because it is, it, it strikes a nerve. Not only strikes yeah. a nerve with 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 uh, with Jewish communities, or um, certainly something as sensitive as that, right? Um, it's it's easy to attack because well, just like nine eleven, that if you deny that something this horrific happened, then people react emotionally as opposed to rationally. 
and you you can defeat people a lot more if they're emotional than if they're if, if they're rational. So you so you almost piss them off to the point where you're the one who sounds rational. But yeah. I think but I think it's it's the point that I alluded to before. It's part of the guilt. It's it's part of the guilt of whoever is in power. Whether again we're talking about an authority or we're talking about a culture who's in power or who's dominated that the, the tactic that they use to justify their power is to blame the victim or to question the victim. And we still do that today, don't we? Right. With women, certainly. That's the one thing, the one that, one that comes off the top of my head. That rape isn't legitimate because, well, she was asking for it. Rape must be legitimate because uh, apparently, and I didn't know this, uh, women have... have uteruses that are so sensitive it can tell between rapist sperm and non-rapist sperm. Yeah, that's the one of the Republican lines. Exactly. In this day and age, they they use such a term as legitimate rape. And and, and, He looks over here looking befuddled. I mean, he's just... I have never heard that in my life. Yeah, that's actually been said. That's actually, yeah. And it's still believed by people in the Republican Party. People, and when I say people in the Republican Party, you might think, oh, you mean people who hold placards, you know, in in rallies? No, these are senators and representatives that, quote-unquote, represent a segment of our population actually trying to to convince other people that there is such a thing as legitimate rape. That, that if a woman gets pregnant, then she was not raped because yeah, the uterus... But it's the same kind of, it's the same <laughs> kind of mentality that, that, uh, that, we, that we've used with Native Americans, we used, we've used with African Americans, that when, when they rise up and actually get some political, economic, or cultural power, like Jews have been able to do, and that steps on some people's toes or, or interferes with some people's designs for their own power, whether it's political or cultural or economic, then it's, then it's victim-baiting. It's, it's, it's turning to the victim and saying, oh, they're the cause of it. And, so, and, and maybe that's the allure of the Holocaust. We don't talk about we don't talk about our treatment of Native Americans very much anymore, do we? Yeah, we don't. Why? Because there are so few of them left to rise up and to, and well, to gain the political power. They're all drinking that, fire water. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're so drunk, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> but who but who supplied them with the whiskey and hors d'oeuvres? Right. I mean, before then, all they knew was beaver and fish. All right? <laughs> no disease, no liquor, no weapons, right, except to hunt with. But then these weird-looking, dressed people, you know, come over, and they seem nice and cordial at first. But, but like, like you said, Adam, what, what, was, what, was, what did they tell? What did Germany tell their Jewish population? Yeah. How do you get that many people into camps and then annihilate them. You've, you've got to placate them somehow. You've got, to, you've got to make them somehow willing to. So you tell them, that, oh, we're just relocating you. You're going to be in a labor camp, and, you know, that'll be that. 
what did we And when they were it? there, when they were there, they told him, when they actually were there, walking into the shower, they said, Absolutely. They said, you're going in for disinfectant, don't worry about it. Absolutely. And so what did we tell Native Americans? Oh, you can have this land. I, I understand yeah. that we're displacing you from the East Coast, but we're going to move you over here. Yeah, in the wastelands of America. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, and, and, right. And then 20 years later, we want that land. And, oh, you, you can have this land. And we promise this is the last time we'll displace you. You can have this land. And, you know, so, so we did. We, we completely took away any kind of power that they, they had or any kind of um, role that they could have played in an American society because we demanded, what did we demand from all of our immigrants into this country? Um, was that you, you have to be American. You have to be, like, you have to be like us. You have to speak English. You have to go to school. You have to pay taxes. No matter what. Well, Native Americans didn't want to do that. So instead of working with them or compromising with them, we just annihilated them and took away everything. So, um, so, so I'm sorry, Adam, back to your question. Uh, I think most of it is guilt, whether it's, hmm. it, whether it's European guilt, you know, Anglo-Saxon, white European guilt for our sins. And, and it could be as simple as that. But what these people who deny that the Holocaust even took place, what that, what that does for them, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have no idea what, what gain that is other than an audience just to see, because, you know, like, like, a, like a, crash of or a crash of metal. We, we want to see how weird these people look. Well, it's, it seemed with Fetzer, and this comes out in the interview, it seems with him, and that, and you know, I don't want to use him as an example, but this is you know the clear, right. closest I've been to exposed to it. As it seemed with him that some of it had to do with partly the problem with the Palestinians, the issue between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and the actual how badly the Palestinians are being treated, which is valid. It is valid. And. Uh, and also, it had to do with just this kind of where he was feeling that he himself was being persecuted by quote unquote Zionists. Like they were changing his Wikipedia page and they were saying that he was an anti Semite and all this. Well, as soon as he said, like, you know, they're trying to call me an anti Semite, then he starts talking about the Holocaust denial. So it was kind of like, dude, what, do you, what, what what's going on here? You know, right? <laughs> That's a contradiction right there, and and, and, and hypocrisy. So, um, but but and the Palestinian thing is an emotional issue with some people. It, it really is, and it absolutely is an emotional issue. Do you know how long it's been an emotional issue? For thousands and thousands of years. So yep. so to to pinpoint this as either a further justification or as a motivation. Uh, I, I just think it's displaced. I just I I don't think that that the argument is strong enough. Um, <clears throat> now, again, we want to talk about the relation between Palestine and Israel. Yeah, absolutely. And where, where the United States fits into it or where any other country fits into it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a rigorous and important debate. But it's not going to be, it's not going to be solved or, or, or alluded, uh, enlightened in, in any way by saying that, um, that the Jews just made it up so they could justify having their own land. 
Yeah. And, and continue to. And so the reason that they're having, you know, their disputes is because of this damn Holocaust thing, which never happened. Right. Well, did, did you ever get any more hate mail? No, actually, I got one person that sent me an email about Fetzer and said, what a disgusting man. I guess he he denies, it was something about no, women. Yeah, he, was said, like, he, she, yeah. she said, I, I bet um, he, I said he also condones stoning women to death. Yeah, 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 that's it, that's it. He also condo- I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> it was Heather, man. <laughs> yeah. The thing no. is... Uh, if you're anti, if you're anti you know, if you're an anti-Semite, does that make you a, a pro-Christian? And if so, you know, yeah, how far do you take your your Christian um, interpretations of the of the Bible and of you know yeah. tradition and things like that? And, okay, no, that gets, oh, uh, that leads to stoning because they still do that in, this, in the world today. So, yep, they still, they sure do. I I, I thought I was going to get so much mail about that. I already had gotten like one email, the lengthy email about how somebody didn't like Luke because he he wanted to he, he believes in population control. Yeah, but, but <laughs> look at how much I care. Yeah, and so, so I thought, oh man, the emails are going to start pouring in, you know, because we're because we're on a network. Fringe Radio Network is mostly a lot of like evangelical Christian and a lot of people yeah. that would probably support Israel. More so, uh, and so I thought, oh man, here it's going to start pouring in on us. And but now, nah, nothing. Just that one person. Maybe they just haven't gotten to episode sixty-nine. Maybe they stopped listening, or, 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 or maybe they're avoiding uh, episode sixty-nine because you know of the implication. So, yeah. and, and and everything else that he talked about in it. I mean, you know, we talked about Sandy Hook, and he made some good points about Sandy Hook. He made some good points about. Boston bombing. Some of his stuff, he does go a little just kind of out in left field a little yeah. bit. I mean, he talked like the nine eleven stuff. I mean, he he really kind of firmly believed that the planes were holograms. And I'm like, that is not the simplest explanation. I'm it sorry, really isn't. By, by far. And I think that he also said that it was a small like antimatter weapon or something that blew the the towers up. Also, not the most simplest explanation. Right. <laughs> Right, because uh, you know, fortunately, uh, unlike the Kennedy assassination, it was it was filmed extensively, uh, professionally, and and with you know amateurs um, that have been collected and studied, and you have to take all of them. You know, with the yeah. Kennedy assassination, the, the the government was very good at collecting everything and then and then releasing only what they wanted to. You know, um, and but the same thing with nine eleven. So again, you talk about the similarities between the Kennedy assassination and 9/11, but, but, yeah, searching for the most complicated answer, just either to sell a, a book or to advance, uh, you know, yourself in some way, um, yeah, it's, it's just counterintuitive. It's just, it's, um, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to get all emotional about it because I am not so invested in my beliefs. Um, that that I would feel somehow insulted if someone challenged them. I'm all about rigorous debate, and I and I am sorry to hear that you didn't get more emails, because that's that's the whole reason you have a podcast is to get right. people talking about things and to get people I to think to about things. That's why Luke's here. Right, right. Good ideas, dude. <laughs> Most of the time, I just keep my mouth shut, but. 
Well, yeah, because there's 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 only so much that can be accomplished with with you know being uh, politically correct or you know not wanting to offend anybody or um, or politely asking. Well, what do you feel about this? No, sometimes you do have to shake the shit out of people because we we are so complacent, and because our attention span has been so dwarfed by you know well many different things, but but yeah, sometimes you just want to you know. Slap people and say, "Hey, this this stuff matters." You know, yeah. do, do I have to insult you to get you to speak? You know, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, there, I, I do think there's there is some validity in the argument that uh, it, it, you know, if I don't piss people off, then then I haven't done my job. The whole idea is to instigate at least discussion, and sometimes well, people are slow to react or slow to to get involved. They're slow to you know, concern themselves beyond their own little security bubble. Um, well, well, let me ask you about something controversial. Um, you know, you are in Detroit. You are close to Dearborn. Yes. Uh, which is the, I think, what is that, the largest Arab population in the United States? Outside of the Middle and, East, absolutely. Right. And it is, uh, this is a, a bone of contention now, especially with kind of like a lot of things that are going on down here in Tennessee. You know, we have like the whole Murfreesboro Mosque thing, the whole anti, you know, in fact, we had a couple of years ago here in Nashville, the anti-Sharia law conference. Right. And right. it's kind of a twofold question. You know, do you see a lot of this kind of like insidious Sharia law kind of creeping in on you up there in Detroit? And also, have there been any like reactions from people against that Muslim community up there? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, that was the, the huge concern with, with after nine eleven. Um, there were there were huge rallies and meetings that took place uh, to uh, ostensibly to calm the community, to, uh, more of a more of a an inclusive. Let's get together and talk about this because if we just stay in our separate camps and let things fester, nothing good will come of that. So. Um, you know, it's important not to connect this event with a certain uh, segment of, of our popul of any population. Uh, wh whoever was behind 9/11 does not speak for you know a vast majority of anybody. So, um, so when things like when things happen in the Middle East, certainly we we somehow see a connection to that. But. That's why it's absolutely important that whether we're talking about religion or we're talking about race, so-called race, um, which have been hot-button topics. It's, it's, it, for a long time, it's been taboo. I mean, whether it's been money or it's been sex or it's been language, certainly religion and so-called race um, have been so taboo is because there are so many, uh, like I said, guilty feelings about it. Um, yeah. And and uh, certainly stereotypes that are a lot easier uh, when you see someone who's different or see uh, you hear someone who's different. Um, well, let's put him in a category so they're they're really easy to spot, so we know it's it's who's us and who's them. And and I always find it uh, interesting that especially between Islam and Christianity that um, I really believe we're talking about the same God. If that is what you believe, we're talking about the same God. Maybe not the same, uh, you know, 
uh, lineage from God, or, you know, the same prophets from God, but ultimately, you know, we have more similarities than we have differences. And, it, and unless we talk about it, we'll never know that. It's the same thing with, with, with so-called race, and our race problem, right? Um, so you talk about it being controversial because we do not engage it enough. We simply allow um, emotions to take over, and you know, yeah, that that replaces that replaces rational thought. And and so here, so to answer your question here in Dearborn, I think I think we've acclimated ourselves, we've infused ourselves with each other's cultures enough that we're not that reactionary. So that's why we haven't had, um, you know, it, it, uh, events um, like attacks and right attacks or, or retributions yeah. or things like that, or or go home, go back to where you belong, that kind of thing. Uh, thankfully, we haven't. Uh, it doesn't mean that 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 we are immune to it, certainly by any means, or that that we somehow that we are the. <laughs> That we're the pillar of of cultural, religious, and and uh, r- racial um, tolerance. Uh, we got a long way to go. Because how is it how is it that we can accept a well a, a, an Arab community or a Muslim community, uh, a Polish community, a Mexican community, a uh, Greek community, all here in Detroit, right? Yeah. But yet we still can't. We still can't treat, uh, you know, black people um, with, with, with the same type of humanity. So um, we still have a long way to go, but we're, we're better in some areas than others. Um, but, but we should always be willing to talk about it. Do to, you know? To, I guess to learn, to, 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 okay, I've heard this before, but you tell me. You know, we, yeah. we've got to, as Malcolm X said, and, and, and I'm glad I can mention Malcolm X because Unfortunately, we had the uh, 50th anniversary of his assassination yesterday. But uh, one, one, one of Malcolm's oh, yeah. most most lucid points was, well, he was asked, well, how how is this so-called race problem ever going to be solved? Because you know, at the time, he's in the Nation of Islam, and he's the, he's uh, Elijah Muhammad's number one representative, and he's doing a lot of speaking. Uh, but what he's speaking about is separation. That that blacks and whites must separate completely. And so that made people say, well, okay, well, how do we solve this problem then? And he says, it is not going to be solved until we sit down at the same table and be able to talk and ask questions without offending the other person. And I, and yeah. I truly believe that we are... It's easier said than done sometimes, though. It is easier said than done, but again, it's, it's, that, it's that culture of you can't talk about that because we might insult somebody. But I think Luke had a question he wanted to ask. Yeah, I, I just want to know, um, I'm sure both of you guys know this, uh, what what are the two different groups of um, Islamic people called? Like, what what is the activist group called, and what is, like, the more passive, you know, we'll have our beliefs, you have our, your beliefs group of Islam called? I know that they have names for them. I've heard it before. Well, you got Islamic fundamentalists, in which you have fundamentalists well, you have just about any religion. Exactly, Adam. You hit it right on the head with 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 any religion. But I I think yeah. maybe what you're asking is there are two different sects of uh, Islam. One is Sunni, and one is Shia. 
and yeah. Malcolm Malcolm was was a Sunni uh, Sunni Islam, um, and and I and I do not have the uh, the knowledge to speak confidently about about the differences between the two. Um, uh, it's complicated. It, it, it is complicated yeah. unless you're well grounded in it, uh, because there are nuances and there's history involved, and it depends on you know who you're talking to or uh, talking about. Um, but it's interesting though, because again, we 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 need to talk about about Islam as as a religion, right? But we right. but we don't want to talk about Christianity. As, as a religion, anytime a comedian mentions it, anytime Bill Maher mentions it, uh, even though he's an atheist, I mean, it, it, but it's still certainly part of the conversation. Uh, we just shut up. We just we just cringe. We don't, you know. And for some reason, you talk about <laughs> extremists. We had extremists here in the United States, but no one ever said that the Ku Klux Klan acts on behalf of all the Christians in the United States, even though they claimed they were a Christian organization. So here we have a terrorist organization in the Ku Klux Klan claiming religious superiority, a, a, a religion that we all know about, Christianity, but yet no one is saying, yeah, when they burn crosses on, on people's front lawns, yeah, yeah. I, I, and hang people and tar and feather them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. Christians do. Yeah, that's, 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 that's my bag. So, 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 when we have extremists like ISIS and or ISIL um, or, or or Boko Haram or any of them, that does not mean that they are acting in accordance with all of the other uh, believers of Islam or, or or Muslims. So we've got to be very careful about that. About what does it represent? What does it truly represent? Does it represent these people? These select few people? Or does it speak uh, more broadly to the beliefs of Islam? Um, and that's, that's, that's why we have to have this conversation. And, and to, to be really, it's going to seem like I'm really off topic here, but I can't watch it without, without, just, being, <laughs> without just being flabbergasted at, at, at the lack of um, foresight or, or even or, or, or even our, our ability as Americans to be reasonable <clears throat> how many uh, 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 Luke and Rob and, and Adam how many uh, of you guys are Beatle fans well I am I, I like I like them okay Who's, Luke's the into Beatles? Swedish uh, yeah. Swedish uh, satanic metal so well, well, yeah. well, the Beatles. well <laughs> no no no, no. I, I okay, like all well, metal <laughs> well, okay, but, but even but even if you're a casual Beatles fan, what was the most controversial thing that ever happened when they were a group? Well, uh, that would be in John Lennon, the Jesus comments. Yeah, they're bigger than Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They, of course, the Southern Belgians—they went out of their minds, even though John Lennon explained what he meant that it was in the paper quoted out of context. So he gives them the context says, I did not mean to say that we are better or greater than Jesus Christ as a person or God as a thing or whatever he is. I simply said, I, I simply made an observation about the value system of, well, he, he was actually talking about people in, in, in England, which is still true to this day. That, yeah. that, that you know, uh, the Church of England has come to mean so little 
over over you know over all these years that the Beatles at that time were more popular in England to the kids than Jesus Christ. Right, so he explains all that, and they still yeah. and and they still had Beatle boycotts. They still had Beatle bonfires where these people who would not listen to reason took all of their Beatle momentum and burned them in this huge, you know, complicated. You know, I, I'm I'm just yeah. That's what you do with someone who you don't agree with. That, that again, burning is you know, the effigy is the most effective way to deal with someone you don't agree with. Yeah. I, I just, it's still, you know, it's just happened, like I said, over 50 years ago, or not not quite 50 years ago, and uh, and I'm still physically uh, just, how, how could you not listen to the guy who said it? He, he, he wasn't trying to backtrack. He wasn't trying to, you know, not offend anyone. He gave, he gave you an explanation as to why he said it, but because he mentioned Jesus Christ, and popularity yeah. with, with uh, you know, a, a, a cultural icon like, like the Beatles, they went out of their minds. They, they absolutely lost it. And kind of reminds you big... how certain Muslims are, are exactly. going out of their minds about pictures and cartoons of Muhammad. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly. Oh, so extremism, <laughs> this kind of extremism can happen in any kind of, in any religion. And, and as long as we know that going in. But it's the reasonable, it's the people who actually... The vast majority of people who are Christians, yeah. who are who are uh, Muslims, who are Jewish, who are Buddhists, who are you know, you know what was yeah what was last what was last controversy over Buddhism or Hinduism? Yeah. None. Yeah. True. You know. Um, so did but, you have a question you wanted to ask? Uh, <clears throat> my my question earlier was just like I I thought that there was a sect of Islam that were all radicals. But I guess that I guess what yeah, you guys fundamentalists. Yeah. yeah, you guys' answer shows that like in all of those sects or, or, or the two, there are still there are still uh, extremists between the two. Well, there might be separate organizations, but exactly, sure exactly. Are, like, you, you hit it right on the head. The different different organizations. What a lot of people what a lot of people don't understand is Christianity itself is divided into two sects. One is Catholic, and one is Protestant. And, and under Protestant is everything else, whether yeah. it's Lutheranism, whether it's Evangelical, you know, Episcopalian, uh, Mormons, uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, all of the different Christian um, or, or quasi-Christian groups fall under the Protestant category of Christianity. So there's Catholics and there's Protestants in Christianity. I get you. Same, right. same thing with, with, with Jews, whether you're Orthodox, Orthodox or conservative, and then, of course, in, in Islam with, with uh, Sunni and, and Shia. So, Craig, I want to, I want to, we're kind of running out of time, and I want to thank you for coming on and, and, and being kind of no, like I, a last minute fill. Well, not really last minute since we talked about this two weeks last ago. Last ditch but, ever. But, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, you, you know, it's kind of good to have this discussion. I'm glad that we've talked about the things that we've talked about. No, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you calling on me. And like I said, because this should be, we should be talking about all of these different aspects of human behavior and, and relationships. And because again, we are on this earth to understand and to be understood. That's it. Right. 
Right. And, and we cannot do that if we do not have a rigorous and open, honest debate. I agree. I agree. And and I appreciate there's, it. Absolutely. There's so much stuff that we, we, we need to talk about. I mean, we need to talk about Ferguson. We should talk about 9-11, JFK. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to have you and John on here to talk about some of that stuff. You know, both of you would do like a we'll like a tag team over here. But <laughs> that'd be great. That would be great. Well, we're going to close out this segment. But uh, do you have like any kind of like a people could get in touch with you or or, or see some of your work or like what's what's yeah, going right on? Now, right now, I have I have a blog that unfortunately I do not use as a blog. I just use it to to uh, promote the work that I've done on the JFK assassination. Um, and so it's it's Craig Ciccone at uh, CraigCicconi dot WordPress dot com. Um, but I'm I'm in the process of of actually getting a website so that so that people can read about the projects that I'm doing uh, can even contribute if they want monetarily. Um, whether it's uh, John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, Fred Hampton, and even I don't know if I told you or John told you, but I'm writing a book about Robert Palmer. Do you guys remember Robert Palmer? Uh, is this Robert Palmer, the musician? Okay, the, the, okay, like uh, addicted to love. Addicted to love, Robert Palmer. Yeah. Okay, because there's there's one that was a music critic, and there's another the one that was the the singer. Right. No, I, this 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 is the uh, English musician. Yes. So so I so I'm going to have this website uh, where where my projects that I'm working on uh, are all there, and uh, contact information is is um, I believe on on my blog right now. Cool. Excellent. So, uh, yeah. When do you expect to have the Fred Hampton book out? Um, that's a very good question. I I, I, I have been advised to do a um, Kickstarter campaign to try to fund yeah. the rest of my research um, uh, to, to to get that to get that going. I really don't know how long it's it's going to be. Um, if I get if I get the materials that that I've been been um, Working at getting uh, the writing shouldn't take very long because it's been 23 years in the making. Um, but then finding a oh. publisher and then getting it out to people—that that who knows how long that's going to be. Yeah, I have a friend, I have another friend of mine that's also been on this show that is kind of experiencing the same kind of thing. He's writing like a it's like a seven book opus on the war on terror. So yeah, wow. From a Christian point of view, uh, right, <laughs> about the future. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Craig, thank so. you so much. Stay on the line for us, and uh, we're going to close out this segment on Conspiranormal. All right, and welcome back, you conspiracy weirdos. I hope uh, I hope you got your jollies off on all that conspiracy talk. Well, actually, actually, most most <laughs> well, of it most was of it more was of a history, history history. Yeah, yeah, which I which I enjoyed because, like, like I said, I'm really spotty on my history, so. It's always good to brush up on all that, huh? Right, exactly. <coughs> well, uh, Craig did a really good job. Of course, I mm-hmm. was really happy to have him on. I mean, originally that was just going to be about a 20-minute segment, and then we were going to talk to uh, Captain K about his experiences on Mars, but I think Captain K might be back on Mars because I've not uh, not heard from the guy at all. Yeah, so. I, I have to go on record and say I'm officially yeah, yeah, I know you were, and I think that uh, I, you know, I'm a little bummed myself, you know. But I actually 
was really liked to what Craig had to say, and we got into some good topics that I really want to get into. But we got to get some, we got to get some like weird people on here, more more oh, yeah, weirdness. Sure. You know, we got to get. I, so, I will try so to get in touch with Captain K, uh, and uh, definitely um, got to get the guy that's obsessed with t- with Tiffany. On there, you know. <laughs> Maybe uh, we can make like a, a three-way call between the two. Yeah, we could. We could. Anyway, Captain K does have a web presence, something like EarthCitizens.com. So he has some things that he he sent out a uh, like a what is it, like a newsletter on online. I'm on his mailing list. So, I wanted to read just a little bit of it. Just a little bit of it. Just okay. kind of give everybody a teaser whenever we actually will get him on. So, friendly versus hostile ET species. You have mentioned reptilians, Draco, human military, and other types of aliens. Recently, you spoke of some bronze ETs as well as Saurians, Arcturians, Andromedans, and also a black-cloaked shadowy head figure, which you later realized was an aged reptilian masquerading as a powerful Dark Lord. Can you speak more about the bronze beings, as well as which ones you consider to be enemies to humanity, and which ones are neutral or even benevolent to humanity? Oh my god. And feel free to jump in anytime, Luke, because I know you love this These stuff. These dudes are on a whole different level. I thought the Ashtar Answer. Command was cool. Answer. Now, Captain K knows, because he was on Mars fighting these guys. The bronze ones refer to themselves as the grandchildren of the great dragon Lee, L.I. They believe that the galaxy is sentient and that their job is much like white blood cells in the body of the galaxy. Their goal is to rid all planets in the galaxy of cancer and disease, as they put it. We humans are neither to them. We are a part of the Gaian ecosystem, which should have the opportunity to flourish, but infections by other species and by, socio- by a sociopathic strain in our own species threaten the whole ecosystem of the entire planet and subsequently the entire solar system and this corner of the galaxy, potentially. The Bronze Ones would like to stop what is here before it spreads, culling back the population, there you go, Luke, to a few hundred million and starting over is an option for them. But they consider it very wasteful, and would prefer to save the species as is while removing the harmful components, much in the same way a surgeon would rather perform a delicate and complicated surgery to save the whole patient. I like these bronze guys. But would, there you go. But would amputate both arms and legs to keep the patient alive if that was the only option left. The bulk of the manual, well, he goes into what like the classifications. Well, uh, he's got the draconian reptoids. The Zeta-1A and Zeta-1B species, often referred to as greys by civilians and as whites by insiders. The Harians, Betelgeist 3, and two others, listed... Why are you laughing, Rob? And as non-corporeal, amorphous, shadow types A and types B. Several in the green category that I can remember would include, but not be limited to, and may have changed. Centauri, vegans, or vegans, I guess... Talsetians. Vegans. Did you you have some Talseti on your way, or was that Taipu on your way way in here? Oh, yeah, the Taipu cat. Procinians and some secretive warrior race called the AK-KA. I have no idea where the Aka are from and no idea what they look like, but they were in the list and it stood out because it was weird. That's about all I recall off the top of my head. Mars Defense Force, Operations and Duties. Can you share some of the operations and duties you carried out while on the Mars Defense Force? Our primary mission 
was defensive forward Station Zebra in grids 87 to 125 and 227 to 277 of the Mars colonies. Secondary duties were to aid other divisions protecting our defensive grid, and when organized by command, to assault or join other forces in assaulting native Martian hives of insectoids and reptoids, the two sentient species on Mars, other than us, or at least the only ones I had personal experience with. I've heard reports of one or two other native species on Mars. We mostly operated in powered armor EV suit using some sort of Gauss rifle or railgun as our primary field weapon. We were kept busy. If we weren't fighting, we were training. We were given recreation time, but we spent an amazing number of hours training for future combat missions. Whoa. You better yeah. hope You better hope he doesn't listen to this outro, dude, because he's going to refuse to come on after Well... No, I, what? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's his words. Is all. Uh, I mean, that's that's all. Well, that's, I mean, that's all we're saying. Well, here. Should, like someone should see it as a challenge. Like, hey, these guys are laughing now, but like I'm going to prove it to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. I'm sure that he's had people that have said anything to him. You know, actually, the one question, the question that I wanted to pose to him was, and I'm actually serious about this. The question I wanted to pose to him was, are these memories? Because he talks about mind control in his stuff too. I think Rob, yeah, you're on your head. I, I, I think read, you read, read that something. Part too, where he's he's slowly starting to remember bits and pieces of all the stuff. Yeah, it's not like he experienced it yesterday and now oh. he's telling people about it. It's like regressive. What do they call it? Um, the hypno. Yeah, you, you had it yeah. right. So you know, I brought this up, but we talked Regression. to Nick Redfern and about the Pascagoula, Mississippi case and about uh, BZ and all that. You know, we brought this up several times. You know, mentioned this guy named Phil Schneider. He was uh, this guy that was on the UFO circuit back in the 90s. He actually committed suicide by somehow strangling himself with a tube. Uh, he claimed that he fought these aliens in this Dulce base. And I've often wondered if whether these were just two groups of guys that were dosed up on something in some kind of mind control experiment, and they were just one group was the aliens, one group were the soldiers, and they were told to kill each other. Huh. I wouldn't put it past our government. Yeah. So what I would like to ask Captain K is, is that how do you know that any of this was real, whether this was just some kind of mind control experiment in and of itself? And some of these guys that are coming out, like not only him, there's Captain K, uh, there's Andrew Basiago, who claims that he was a time traveler and that he was at the Gettysburg Address, and he has a picture to prove it. And also some other guys that are involved with like the Montauk Project and supposedly the Philadelphia Experiment. Some of these guys that came out in the 90s, whether these guys were just all mind control experiments and their brains were so fried that they actually believed all these experiences right, that yeah. were happening to them. And through some kind of suggestion, these memories were put into their brains somehow. I've often wondered if that could be the case. I, I so that's know. really why I wanted, you know, that's the one reason I wanted to get him yeah, on, be, to, I, to ask him that be question. Because awesome, he could be one of those guys. I, I really want to know more about uh, where I was listening to another podcast I was telling you about that time, and he, he said, he mentioned something about how the CIA sprayed um, a, a ghetto or some, like, poor community here in America. They, they sprayed radioactive isotopes, like, all over the community. Just to see what would would happen. Just to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I've he, heard of stuff like that like too. Use the whole poor community as a guinea pig for the. Well, that's not. Uh, you know, you had the Tuskegee. You had the Tuskegee syphilis 
project. And you actually, you know, Craig probably would have been a good person to ask this question. You know, the Tuskegee syphilis uh, pro- uh, project was where they injected black men over with syphilis and and um, observed them over a number of years to see how the disease progressed. So, I don't know much about the Tuskegee. Uh, like, what was that? Was that the part of the military that that was all black? Well, it was. I mean, you the, had the Tuskegee Airmen, which was an all-black uh, air group. And the Tuskegee, but Tuskegee, is Tuskegee is a, is a town in uh, is a town in Alabama, and it was some government organization, health organization, yeah. that injected these guys. So okay, that's not okay, that's okay. not. And I believe like they they dumped some radioactive isotopes in subways. That had happened. Whoa! Yeah, you know, Alex Jones talks about a lot about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I miss listening to him. Oh, Alex Jones! <laughs> this actually came out, I believe, yesterday, and this is something else that we've also talked about on the show. Slender Man interrogation tapes reveal shocking new details. Oh boy. In explosive police interrogation tapes, the two young girls accused of stabbing a classmate in an effort to please the fictional internet character Slenderman explain in their own words why they believed the character would come after them if they didn't kill their friend. I didn't want to do this, Morgan Geyser is heard telling a police officer on an interrogation tape. I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't. I didn't want to find out what would happen if we didn't. Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire, both now 13, were arrested on May 31, 2014, after allegedly stabbing their then 12-year-old friend, Peyton Lutner, 19 times, and leaving her to die in the woods in their hometown of Waukesha, Wisconsin. But after being rushed to the hospital with life-threatening injuries, Peyton survived. The police interrogation tapes, which were recorded mere hours after both girls were arrested, were shown at a pretrial hearing for the girls this week. 2020 has been following the case since this is from ABC News since it began more than eight months ago. This past May, Peyton Lutner went to a sleepover with her friend Morgan and another girl, Anissa, to celebrate Morgan's birthday. After her arrest, Morgan told police that Peyton was her only friend for a long time. So I decided to stab her. She was my best friend since fourth grade, Morgan is heard telling the officer on the interrogation tape. But when the officer asked Morgan why she decided to hurt Peyton, Morgan replied it was necessary to please Slenderman. Must please Slenderman. I've always wanted to make the Slender Cat meme. I was gonna <laughs> <laughs> But see, yeah, we we have a black cat and I wanted to take one of my black socks and put it over over her head. And she would, and she would be Slender Cat. <laughs> Both Morgan and Anissa were obsessed with the fictional character, who is often depicted in fan fiction stories online as a horror figure who stalks children. In court this week, disturbing drawings depicting Slenderman and dismembered Barbie dolls recovered from Morgan's bedroom were shown. When asked to describe Slenderman, Morgan told the detective on the interrogation tape that he was a tall, faceless man who preys on children. He watches you, she added. I've never seen him. He's everywhere. In the interrogation video, the then 12-year-old Anissa said... He could be anywhere from 6 feet to 14 feet tall. He doesn't have a face. His skin is white. And at his own will, he can um, exploit these tendrils from his back and, like, strangle his victims. Anissa is heard telling police that Morgan suggested they go in search of Slenderman and become his proxies. Morgan said, hey, Anissa, we should be proxies. I was like, okay, how would we do that? And Anissa is heard telling a police officer. Authorities say Morgan repeatedly told detectives it was necessary to kill Peyton, 
to become proxies of Slender Man and live with him in his mansion in the woods. They believed his mansion was in the Chequamagon Nicolet National Forest in northern Wisconsin. <laughs> Morgan told police their plan to kill their friend began as early as December 2013. Anissa told detectives she was excited when Morgan told her of the plan to stab Peyton. I was excited because I wanted proof that he existed, because there were a bunch of skeptics out there saying he didn't exist. She said, Morgan and I were going to be like lionesses chasing down a zebra. I was going to tackle her, and then Morgan was going to do the stabbing. Jesus. Anissa also told the detective that it was Morgan who convinced her that she would ha- she had to kill, or else Slenderman would kill my whole family in three seconds. Police said when the girls were caught in 2014, they were carrying clothes, granola bars, and water bottles. One of the girls was carrying a picture of her family, telling police she wanted to remember what they looked like after leaving her town for Slender Man's imaginary mansion in the woods. The girls told police they left Peyton to die in the woods, lying to her and saying that help was on the way, and said they began their journey to find Slender Man's mansion. On the interrogation tape, Anissa described how she felt about Slender Man when they were apprehended, saying, I'm scared. I was told if I didn't do something, my family would be in danger. Both girls have been charged with one count of first-degree intentional attempted homicide. They have not entered pleas. Anissa and Morgan appeared in court this week before a judge who will decide whether to try the girls as adults or send their cases to a juvenile court. A judge's decision is expected in March. I honestly don't know why we did this, Morgan said. Wow. (laughs) Rob? I lost interest about halfway through. (laughs) I know. It's... it's, (laughs) ADD. See, Rob, you know you have you have two girls that are one's twelve actually. Yeah, yeah about the same age. Almost slowly close to that age. They're they're they, you know they're they're very influenced by media and, and and stuff. I can't imagine it ever getting to that point without some kind of like way deeper issue. Yeah, behind it all. Right. It. I, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's you know, like they used to talk about how God, people would kill themselves because they would listen to Ozzy Osbourne lyrics or something <laughs> back in the right. 80s, you know? And it's just... Uh, it, it just makes you wonder, is, is there some... Obviously, one friend was probably influencing the other. Mm-hmm. And they really should look at one of those girls, to see uh, the, the one that's the leader, to really see if there's some mental illness yeah, for in sure. there. Are there are people that when we've had some on this show that would say possibility that maybe it's like a tulpa kind of effect and they maybe have actually have been seeing this figure in their dreams. Maybe they gave it some kind of sense of reality to them. You never know. Uh, Luke, oh my brain is fried. I was just gonna, I was just gonna <laughs> say something, dude. I totally, I, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. It was good too. Well, anyway, guys, uh, we're about to call it. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming out tonight. Thanks for Craig Ciccone for uh, coming in, being kind of like a almost last in minute fill in guest. Indians. That's right, the Ciccone Indians. <laughs> but next time we'll be back in about two weeks, and we're going to have Doctor Future on, and uh, we're going to be like this. Is kind of going to be like our. We're going to party would say, and get wasted. Yeah, it's gonna. It's like our three-year anniversary, basically, because we started this back in March 2012. Nice, right uh, on, dude. Yeah, uh, so like March is gonna be like three-year anniversary. I've got him coming on, and uh, 
We're going to talk about Jewish ritual magic. You're going to have another anniversary, and I'm excited about that too. Well, what I'm thinking of is if we get to episode 100, then which is probably a possibility at this point, we will have another party. Yeah. I don't want to say anything other than that. So. <laughs> Kegger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, over here? I don't know if that's going to happen. This time, <laughs> this time I'm going to have to control myself a little bit more. Though. Yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to do, like, Kegger in a haunted location. Yeah. There you go. Righteous. <laughs> but, you know, I've got my, my, my mind kind of spinning on that, what we can do. But uh, join us next time with uh, Dr. Future. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And next week we'll be back on Conspirable! Something, insert something witty said by Luke here. <laughs> I'm brain dead, bro.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.